I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo! Apologies for the lateness. We are tired. <laughs> Look, y'all, it's been a couple of weeks. My brain is still not functioning correctly. I'm very but tired. Y'all are lucky I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> we exactly. have been some busy little cemetery row gals. Um, Lou-hoo, congratulations. You started a new job. Yes, yes. Very did not exciting. Get a, did not get a break in between jobs, which I would nope. have liked, but very excited to be uh, back in a particular field. So, woohoo. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, very tired. And you've been doing some horse shows, which is always awesome. Yes. Well, so our topic this week is rich weirdos. And I found like one blurb of this guy who was bar- his name was Richard Hull and he was supposedly this eccentric Englishman who buried himself upside down on a horse that is <laughs> not true that did not happen Damn. In, in in preparation for the apocalypse and that made me think you know so this is the first time really in my life I haven't had a really good competitive horse to show on uh so I tried one thing earlier this year it did not work out my horse was too crazy for it so I started riding my dad's horse Maverick and he is doing good, but what made me think of him when I saw this Richard Hull story that is not a story, although I wish it was, uh, <laughs> Maverick is what I refer to as my apocalypse horse. <laughs> I, I've called him that the whole time we've had him because he is massive. He is so thick and so strong. Like n- a number of people tell me he needs to be like pulling logs. He's like the old timey, <laughs> just workhorse. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, when the grid goes down and the world ends, he's going to be the horse I ride into Babylon. (laughs) Right. I mean, he's going to be the one like Adam. I'm sorry. I love you, but you don't (laughs) ride horses. I'm going to strap Bonnie on the front. Saw you're on the back. (laughs) And Maverick, he stays fat on air. He doesn't like you don't you feed him, but he's fat and he uh, (laughs) he goes through anything like you can go take him through a river, whatever he's going to do it. So, uh, but unfortunately I could not find anything to back up the Richard Hull story. I mean, there were, there's been a couple of people that have been buried upside down because, you know, I guess it's, you're not going to rise when the world It's just, it's weird. So I was weird thinking. Yeah. Okay, so, so there's a kind of a funny story of like where my grandma used to live in Kansas City, in North Kansas City. So if we have any Kansas City listeners, you know where this is. Um, but close to where my grandma's neighborhood was, was a Jewish cemetery. And the, the stones are really, really close together. And my grandma said it's because they got buried standing up. And for the longest time, I believed that. <laughs> Until I had a Jewish friend in college go, no, girl. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Well, how does it work? I don't know. I was like, why are the stones so close together? And she's like, because we don't give a shit. We'll put the stones in there as long as there's people in there. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, okay. Because my, she's like, if your stone is on somebody's feet, nobody's going to get upset about it. We just, that's, that's true. something we get upset about. Yeah, and I, I was just that. like, she's like, we're not, we don't need as much real estate as y'all do. <laughs> like, that's okay. crazy. I had to like tell my grandma, like, they don't get buried standing up. Why did you tell me that? 
She's like, I just, I just assumed. Right. It made sense (laughs) to her. I was like, God damn. Maybe you look like a dumbass. And then Hannah, you have been, uh, you had some fill-ins, which knocked you out for a day. Oh my God. Yeah. Been doing some fun, um, roller derby stuff. I, um, went to like an open clinic that the Windy City Rollers appear having, and then they're doing recruitment for the team starting in September. So everybody keep your fingers crossed. Um, I mostly did the clinic because like, I've been roller skating around my apartment, but it's not (laughs) like apologies to everybody who lives on my floor in my apartment building because I'll just like roller skate down to the trash chute just to like give myself something (laughs) to do um and I'm sure they're like what the fuck is this girl doing I'm like I don't even know so I mixed two of us um and then yeah so take care of your teeth because oh my god so they get in there I was only supposed to have two fillings and the dentist gets in there goes oh there's the third one I was like are you fucking kidding me and it was like really big and kind of deepish. And I was like, fuck me. Oh no. <laughs> and so, like, look, when you're in your 30s, dental work will take you out. Like, I could just like Sheena, I had a wisdom tooth pulled out and I drove up to Tupelo to see you like yeah. right after and was not a big deal. Yeah. It was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Pulled it out. I'm fixing to drive six hours. Yeah. <laughs> We're it was fine. fine. This, I just walked down the block. I'm like, I'm so tired. I go to sleep. <laughs> so, look, take care of your teeth because you, as you get older, that shit hurts. Yeah, it does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Sheena, then, what have you got going on? I have a lot of Elmwood Cemetery stuff yes! to promote. Let's hear it. So, um, if anyone has heard me talk about my true crimes of bygone times tour on this podcast and thought, gee whiz, I wish I was in Memphis because I would like to take that tour. Well, guess what? The tour is coming to you. Um, that sounded like I was going on tour. I'm not. I'm doing a <laughs> virtual presentation version of the tour on Tuesday, August 16th at like 6 p.m. So, you know, stay home, enjoy your air conditioning and wear some jammies and get your pets all around you and get some popcorn and hear about true crimes from Memphis history. Some of the stories, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, but not all of them. And um, I have very exciting research that I did recently that made me connect a couple of my stories and thrilled Mm -hmm. me. Oh, my God. Um, People were just doing the craziest things back in the day. Um, so that is again August 16th, this coming Tuesday. Go to elmwoodcemetery.org to get a ticket, please. Um, I think it's only like 10 bucks, so it's not bad. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, totally. and then um I do have an actual tour of true crimes of bygone times in October, the weekend of Halloween, but What is also happening at Elmwood is their Soul of the City event, which is their big costume tour that they have in October. And this year's music, uh, this year's theme is music. So it's dedicated to musicians and producers and all that good stuff, people who are buried at Elmwood. But um, I am one of the um, costume people i'm one of the actors this year i'm so Woo-hoo! thrilled i've yeah. always been a tour guide and this year i'm finally an actor and i filmed my segment for it because the tour is also a movie 
Um, and so if you can't be here in Memphis for the actual event, there will be a movie that um, they will screen the movie at Elmwood along with Hocus Pocus because perfect combination. Yes. And um, but then they're also going to have the movie online to view. Love so um, if you want to go to Soul of the City in Memphis, that is the first Thursday, Friday, Saturday in October. And then the movie will screen at the at the cemetery later in October. Um, but either way, I'm really excited to be a character. I will post pictures of myself in character. Yes, do it. Do it, do it, do it. Because that's been, that's been an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> We've never a sneak peek of the costume and it's amazing. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, it's really weird to go around and say, I've been, I've got to go film my segment for the movie. Like Rosie, I, really? I have a script to learn. Yes, Rosie's all about that Diet Mountain Dew action. I she's already a crackhead. She definitely yes. does not need anything <laughs> yes. to do. Like, all right. Well, let's jump into this week's topic. Um, as Lori said earlier, we are covering rich weirdos. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I okay. So I'm going to start this episode off with my rich weirdo, but I wanted to say a couple things first. I hope no one finds the word weirdo offensive. We mean it with love. We mean it with love. And it's funny because going back through history, if you look at people who were called eccentric or anything like that, nine times out of ten, they were actually relatively normal. They just were were considered weird by those time standards. Like some people that were on the list, I'm like, they just would have been a drag queen in 2022. <laughs> right. But they were exactly. born in 1900. Or like my guy doesn't really have an education and he is so made fun of for it and it's like check your privilege my dude yeah and my guy wasn't like weird so much as he was just very much his own person and but yeah exactly and now there are some people who definitely um were weird and had money um i see you nicholas cage and your pre-need fucking pyramid Uh, i love it I love it. T-Rex skull. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this, I say that to say this episode was inspired by um, an episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is an excellent podcast. I highly recommend it. About French Francis Edgerton, the eighth Earl of Bridgewater. He was a Bridget, Bridget, Bridget. <laughs> he was a British aristocrat. And the thing I love about him, and just listen to this podcast episode on this guy. I wanted to cover him, but I thought these ladies did a perfect job. I don't want to rehash what they did. But he wore a different pair of shoes every day. I mean, he was so rich, he could afford to have new shoes made every day when that was not an easily available thing Damn. to get. And he kept them all. And it was almost like his journal because every day he'd be like, oh, I wore those shoes to the party. And as you can see, it rained that day and the shoes are muddy. Like it was like a way for him to remember his life. And, and I have a pair of sneakers that could have graduated college this year. Same. <laughs> same. Exactly. Do you know how many journals I have that are empty yet I still buy them? And this guy has shoes and then he also had shoes made for his many many dogs and he would have these expensive (laughs) dinner parties for these dogs and like if a dog misbehaved he would like tell the dog like it couldn't attend dinner parties for a week or something like i love this guy i love this guy i was like this is the craziest story i've ever heard and again if you want to hear it it's a fascinating episode he does have a really cool monument too um please listen to that episode of stuff you missed in history class 
last. I believe that was from February of this year. But my guy that I'm going to talk about, my rich weirdo, is an American eccentric, and he predates Francis Egerton by about 10 years. So, you know, we were getting here in America, we were getting our weird on kind of early. So picture it, the early 1800s in Newburyport, Massachusetts. A funeral was held for an eccentric businessman and author, and 3,000 people showed up to mourn this guy. But he wasn't dead. Oh, not yet. Oh, so let's go back to his birth. Uh, Let's go back to January 22nd, 1747 in Malden, province of Massachusetts Bay in British America, because we're not a, a country yet. Timothy Dexter, who would in 50-something years fake his death, um, was born. This makes him an Aquarius. Um, Timothy did not have a lot of former education. Um, I got the impression he grew up in a pretty poor family because he had to drop out of school at the age of eight to work on the family farm, which is very common. Um, and at the age of 16, he became a tanner's apprentice. And of course, a tanner is someone who prepares animal hide or skin for leather. Yeah. So that's what that is. I wasn't sure. So I double checked it. <laughs> and just in case anyone else out there was not sure, I just thought I'd tell you. Anyway, in 1770, he was about 23. He married a wealthy widow named Elizabeth Frothingham, which is a great name. I need that, that to be. Sounds made uh doesn't it though like i'm like i need you to be a character on downton abbey or bridgerton or something um he was very much or she was very much robbing the cradle she was 10 years older than timothy good for which her is not really that big of an age difference but i don't know i just liked it anyway uh she had all the money and so they bought a mansion together and they also had two kids nancy and samuel more on them later and though Timothy was newly rich. New England society snubbed him. Of course, uh, he he's was, new money. New he's money. new money, oh, yeah. yes. And he didn't even make that new money. He married into it. Um, his neighbors, he was neighbors with the likes of John Hancock and other big, like, revolutionary Damn, time yeah. movers and shakers. But they were like, yeah, he's not educated and he married into money. whoop de doo So he tried to gain some respect by running for political office, but he was never elected and um, tired of him running for office all the time. The town he lived in lived in gave him the title of informer of deer. It was (laughs) literally his job to track the phone, the town's phone populations and tell the town like how many deer they had. But even they did this just to shut him up. But really, the town's government records said, and I quote, the last deer had disappeared from the Malden Woods 19 years before. So this town (laughs) ran out of deer. They straight up took this man snipe hunting. (laughs) Yes, they did. Um, Which I just think is hilarious. But either way. Um, But either way, he started making his own money. Um, We're going to get to that in a second. He and his family then moved to Newburyport, Massachusetts. And that's really where most of our story takes place. So. It's funny because he kind of 
made money in, in really interesting ways. So at the end of the Revolutionary War, he made a fortune in a weird way, and this just continues throughout his whole life. He purchased a lot of depreciated continental currency, which at the time was worthless. But when the government offered 1% of face value and Massachusetts offered it at face value, I don't know. Either way, he ended up making like a ton of money, <laughs> like the government made good on the money. And so he made this huge profit when everyone else was like, I'm not going to buy up a bunch of this continental currency. It's worthless. And he was like, he hmm, was the original crypto bro, basically. <laughs> um, and then he bought two ships and started an export business to um, the West Indies and to Europe. And because he was so just uneducated he just did not have this business sense a lot of fellow businessmen in town would give him terrible advice and he took it oh. but what's wild is it worked in his favor like every time this <laughs> man has the craziest amount of luck god so, loves fools <laughs> i swear so his rivals encouraged him to send bed warmers to the West Indies, like Jamaica, Cuba, Puerto Rico, <laughs> where you clearly do not need bed warmers. And by bed warmers, I mean, it's those metal containers that you put a little bit of right. like, embers in. It would warm up your bed when it was cold. You would use that in England. You would have no use for it in Jamaica, Cuba, Puerto Rico. But, um, and they did this to bankrupt him. They were trying to make him lose his money. But his ship's captain sold them as ladles to the local molasses industry. So they Smart. ended up making tons of money. <laughs> then it. he sent wool mittens down there and Asian mer merchants bought them to export them to Siberia. So Smart. <laughs> mittens in Jamaica shouldn't work, yet it does. Then his rivals told him to, quote, ship coal to Newcastle. And that's a phrase you don't hear anymore, but you would have then. It's literally a phrase used in England to mean a pointless action because Newcastle's entire economy is based on the coal industry. So why gotcha. would you ship coal to Newcastle? It's well, like selling you know? ice water to Eskimos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> However, Inuit, sorry. Exactly. However, uh, he shipped his coal to Newcastle where there was a minor strike. <laughs> so his coal was sold at a premium i love this man i love this guy i was just like every i was like none of this should work and it works every time he exported bibles to the west indies they have no need for those yet missionaries bought them up and used them um he also sent stray cats to the caribbean and everyone's like why are you sending stray cats to the caribbean turns out they had a rat infestation so the cats went over like perfectly like this man <laughs> is just goobering his way through history and i basically love it um so while his peers are just making fun of him the whole time he's laughing all the way to the bank he is making money like nobody's business and he would boast about his profits and how he found unique business opportunities by quote playing the fool so i wonder if some of this maybe not he, as dumb as they not thought. as dumb as he seems but some of this is dumb luck some of this is right. just pure old luck um but let's talk about what he did with that money let's rich you know new money doesn't always mean new taste so <laughs> he uh he he wanted to have himself a very nice mansion so he has this chateau built for his family very nice very fancy but he decides to surround the house with 40 wooden statues yeah oh yeah 
just hold on. According to one 18th, 19th century historian, this is a quote, the tasteless owner in his rage for notoriety created rows of columns, 15 high feet at least, on which to place colossal statues carved in wood directly in front of the door of the house on a Roman arch of great beauty and taste stood General Washington in his military garb. On his left was Jefferson, on his right, Adams. On the columns in the garden, there were figures of Indian chiefs, military generals, philosophers politicians statesmen and the goddesses of fame and liberty so <laughs> yes he had 40 statues carved and put in just his yard and the final statue he had made was of himself with the inscription and this is where we get a little trumpy i am the first in the east the first in the west and the greatest philosopher in the western world <laughs> this is okay. coming from a guy who as i said earlier and i hate to keep pointing out but it's true does not have much of a formal education he has never done anything in the field of philosophy he's never even read a book on the subject so all right the you statues i'm gonna give it to you <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here with it i mean okay so long as you're like keeping you know the lights on or the candles on and the um you know, right. a roof over your family's head. Who cares? Um, the statues, though, did cost $2,000 each. And since there were 40 of them, uh, they cost more than the house itself. <laughs> um, and sometimes he just liked to mess with the inscriptions. So, like, even though it would be General George Washington, it would say something else below. So, like, at one point, the painter wrote Declaration of Independence beneath Jefferson, but Timothy told him to put Constitution on it. And the painter was like, Declaration is what's correct here, not the Constitution. So, Timothy shot at him, and the <laughs> painter was like, fine, I'll put Constitution on there. Just don't kill me. <laughs> this is the most redneck rich bullshit. It's so redneck. Like... <laughs> I'm shocked this guy's from up north, but you know what? Up north, they have rednecks too. <laughs> Sorry, do. but it's true. They do. Um, and then this is my favorite story of all of them. He told visitor the, his visitors to his house that his wife, who was very much alive, breathing woman, was dead, and that the woman walking around their house was a ghost. Okay, he's just a trickster. He's just a trickster. I love that. And that's really stupid, but I love it. Um, but eventually she was like fed up with this. So she <laughs> moves into another house. Um, they could afford it. Oh, yeah. I think they had several. <laughs> um, and then his kids moved back in. Now, they're adults and they have not, in my opinion, probably done right by them. Um, I think um, Samuel was pretty lazy. And then Nancy... She had moved back in too. She had been in an abusive marriage and she got a divorce from her husband, which I was shocked to see in the oh, very, wow. very late 1700s. Um, but she became an alcoholic and I found that the family shut her away in the house. So, oh, yeah, I'm not cool with that. But, um, and as you can imagine, you know, you have Timothy, you have his son Samuel here. Nancy is somewhere in that house, not sure where. The house eventually became pretty disgusting because um, it's two dudes. One website. Oh, yeah. Even with <laughs> servants, it's going to be icky. It's going to be icky. And this is a direct quote from some website that I was reading. It said, the fine interiors, including curtains once owned, once owned by the Queen of France, were soon covered in unseemly stains. Stains oh. <laughs> offensive to sight and smell. 
Uh, wiping their ass on the curtains i don't even want to think about what that is (laughs) well that is the one thing like i've been looking at condos right and so i've been looking and there will be some that i'll walk in and i'm like a bachelor lives here yeah like this is single this is single man energy yes because that is the one comforter that every single man owns yes that one Mm -hmm. specific comforter and the most expensive thing in the goddamn house is a playstation so (laughs) i'm i'm i yes they have not changed in 300 years no not at all um he also had some weird friends and I really want to know this person. One was Madame Hooper, a widow turned fortune teller who had oh. quote, a double set of teeth. I don't know what that means. And a chicken. Okay. okay. She and she gave him, she gave Timothy astrology advice in exchange for tea, as you do. So, okay. um, <laughs> in efforts to be like the king of England, because um, he wanted um, to be like the king of England, I guess. Of course. He hired his own poet laureate because he felt like he had to have one. So he hires this 20-year-old dude he found who was outside selling fish from a wheelbarrow and is like, make me some poems. So all rich weirdo behavior, and I love it. I love every bit of this. It's so deeply stupid. Um, (laughs) So Timothy knew that great Italian poets were crowned with mistletoe. Well, he didn't have mistletoe. So he put a crown of parsley on this guy's head because that was the (laughs) only thing he had growing in his garden. Parsley. Parsley. And made him write poems about how awesome Timothy was. Um, (laughs) I have, (laughs) we will go into the one of those poems at the end and y'all it rhymes it rhymes it rhymes like a like a no offense to sixth grader but it rhymes like a sixth graders poem it's oh look, i incredible. wrote poems in sixth grade and hey I did god they're lost to the sands of time right <laughs> um timothy also by the way declared himself a lord even though america doesn't use lord you know earl baron like even though we don't use those kind of titles like they do in britain he was like yeah i'm lord timothy dexter and it's like (laughs) no for you timothy (laughs) now in 1802 at the age of about 50 or so um timothy who again was like almost illiterate wrote a book called a pickle for the knowing ones a pickle a pickle for the knowing ones best title ever in it, um, he writes about his life and he complains about politicians who probably deserved it, the clergy who probably deserved, probably it, deserved it, and his wife who probably didn't, but alas. Um, the book contains 8,847 words, 33,364 letters, zero punctuation, and countless <laughs> spelling and capitalization errors. One section begins, I'm the first Lord in the United States of Mercury. I'm is I-M-E and United spell, United States, United is spelled Y-O-U-N-I-T-E-D, like United. Oh, geez. The book was initially free, um, but <laughs> of course, but no, then it became really popular. So, you know, then it had to be, re- well, then you got to charge eight times. Wow. It was kind of like a cult classic because people wanted it to laugh at it. 
Well, I wonder if, cause like, I know back in the day, like they were like real fast and loose with spellings. Like I have like the OG Pepperidge farm cookbook and it has like some medieval recipes in there. And I'm like, y'all just playing with these words here. And they're like, well, W wasn't invented yet. I was like, what? <laughs> well, you know, I think he thought that he could play fast and loose with punctuation too, because in the second edition, he included an extra page of punctuation marks and told publishers and readers they could, in his words, they may pepper and salt it as they please. <laughs> the former oh. newspaper editor in me just loves this. I and some. Love it. Some people said he made these mistakes on purpose to sort of make fun of the people who have made fun of him right. his entire he was life. Playing the long game. He's made all this money. He could literally write a book and publish it. So <laughs> grammar, spelling, and punctuation he's be like, damned. Fuck again. Y'all. Yeah, he's like, hey, I'm gonna laugh all the way to the bank after making this book. So sometime after the book was published, this is where he fakes his own death. And this is the fake funeral that I mentioned before. He asked a cabinet maker to make his coffin, and he liked it so much he slept in it for a couple of weeks before the funeral. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) His wife and kids were in on the prank, and he told them they had to cry and mourn to make it seem He was just a performance artist well before his time. Kind of, yeah. So again, 3,000 people show up for the funeral. Um, They have the whole funeral, and then they have a big meal. And everyone, they have the best wine, the best food. Everything's going well. The kids were boohooing. But his wife, Miss Elizabeth up there, uh, she was smiling. (laughs) And this part is not funny. This is the one part where I'm like, dude, did you have to? He manages to get her attention and gets her to come to the nearby kitchen where he starts to, quote, cane her (gasps) for not playing along. No, she's playing along. She's going to be thrilled as hell when you're asked. Real. That's what I thought, too. I was like, she's smiling because that's going to be her exact reaction. (laughs) But everyone hears what's going on. So the funeral stops and he comes out and he's like, well, I'm not really dead, y'all. And they just keep partying. (laughs) I mean, okay, my dude. So... Timothy Dexter really, truly, actually died on October 26th, 1806, at the age of 59. I don't know what killed him, but apparently he liked to drink. He liked to drink a lot, and he was never really in great health. Also, he's 59 in 1806, so that's already like hitting 99. Right. Um, he was. He had in that great house with all of those amazing statues. He had built a mausoleum in that home because, okay. as you do. Um, and he was supposed to be, to be buried there, but local officials were like, no, dude. So they forced him. I mean, I guess you can't force a dead dude, but they made him be buried at the Old Hill Burying Ground in Newburyport. So that's where he is. Um, he has one of those beautiful, classic colonial style headstones. I love them. It's so cool looking. Um, it has an urn on it, has his dates. It's not really like fancy. And you wouldn't think that this monument belongs to like a rich guy, but I like it. I think it's cool. His wife died three di- three years later. Her monument is similar to his, but it's really worn down over the years. It's harder to read. Um, Samuel died in 1807 at the age of 34. I don't know why or how I couldn't find a cause of death, um, but he's buried in that same cemetery as his parents and beside his wife, who is also his first cousin. Um <laughs> Okay. I found where his daughter Nancy died in 1851. So she lived a very long life, but I don't know where she's buried. I think Timothy Dexter's house still stands. Um, 
I saw where a guy purchased it in the 1980s. He planned to restore it, was working on it, but then the house caught on fire in the late 80s. And I think it's been rebuilt and I think it's now privately owned, but I'm not 100% sure. The All of the Massachusetts websites were sort of um, weird about it. Um, meanwhile, what happened to those 40 statues? Well, a strong wind came through in 1815 <laughs> and knocked most of them over. Oh, Jesus. Um, the ones that were sort of, you know, still together or still, you know, that weren't too badly damaged were sold off at an auction. And remember, he paid $2,000 for each of those statues. Yeah, they sold at auction for between 50 cents and $5. Oh, oh, wow. No. So, and then I wanted to end um, my story here with a little bit of one of those poems that the poet laureate wrote about him. I'm dying. I need it to is, know. Y'all, I almost want to read the entire thing because the majority of it is how great the house is. But this is how it starts. Lord Dexter is a man of fame. Most celebrated is his name. More <laughs> precious than gold that's pure. Lord Dexter shine forevermore. Okay, that doesn't rhyme, but okay. Yeah, that last part didn't. But everything else that this guy wrote, like the rest of the poem, yeah, it rhymes. It's you got to be careful about who you pick as your bard, my man. Yeah, maybe not the dude who is selling fish out of a wheelbarrow. But what do I know? <laughs> but yeah, he um, yeah, the house is filled with sweet perfumes. Rich furniture doth fill his rooms. Oh. Inside and out, it is adorned, and on the top, an eagle's formed. Uh, there's oh, so much more. Wow. If y'all want me to read the whole thing very dramatically, I would be more than happy to do so. But I'm just saying that that is what we have going on here. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the one, the only Timothy Dexter. I <laughs> love it. What a hoot. <laughs> he is a mess. I love it. The more I looked at that guy, the more I'm like, this is just the funniest thing I've ever read. So there you go. I love it. Wow. Okay. Top that one, Hannah. Okay. <laughs> this one's pretty good. This one's pretty good. I have to admit. So actually, I got this idea from friend of the pod, Miss Vesper. Um, Best name ever. I know yes. she's great. She is a wonderful artist who lives in, um, I believe she lives on the Missouri side for Kansas city, but I'm not sure. Vesper, correct me. Um, with a wonderful son and wonderful cats. And I love her, but Yay. at the very beginning of the pod, she recommended the story to me and we finally got to rich weirdos. So I finally have an excuse to cover it. Yay. So very happy. So, as someone in the throes of very complicated grief, I know the full range of feelings and emotions it brings out. Pain, joy, anger, bitterness, love, loneliness, nostalgia, all of these are valid feelings. But for John Davis of Hiawatha, Kansas, his beloved wife's death and the community's behavior afterwards brought out a very singular emotion. Spite. <laughs> yes as a dyed in the wool irish i fucking love spite john davis and his wife sarah's final resting place is a testament to the beauty and wonder that can occur when you're deep in the bowels of grief and annoyed at other people counting your money <laughs> so john milburn davis was about 32 when he moved to kansas from kentucky in 1887 he married his beloved sarah and the two farmed 260 acres outside of town the pair never had any children, and when Sarah took ill and died at around 
1930, at around age 70, John was devastated. They'd been married for a while. Yeah. Soon after her death, the community at large had ideas for the wealthy widow and his substantial estate. The town could use a hospital and a (laughs) swimming pool. It reminded me of that episode of The Simpsons where he's trying to get his dullard son into one of the Ivies. And they're like, (laughs) we could use an international airport. (laughs) And he's like, I'm not made of airports. So I'm like, yeah, they're like, we could use a pool. So unbeknownst to the community, though, Davis had given tens of thousands of dollars to those in need throughout the years, but didn't feel the need to tell everybody his business. Davis set about pouring himself into a project to honor his lost wife. He had statues of himself and Sarah commissioned in Italy out of Italian marble. The statues are in the likeness of what he and Sarah looked like on their 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, that's nice. Deciding he liked that set, he commissioned another pair, this time their likeness from their 10th anniversary. Oh, that's sweet. I know. In all, there are 11 statues, five of Sarah and six of John. Oh yeah, 11, 11. 11. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. This is a very statue heavy episode. It's 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 big. It's real big. <laughs> and unlike um Sir Timothy's or Lord Timothy's, I'm sorry, his <laughs> shit was made out of marble. He wouldn't fucking Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> thought the wood thing was a little cheap. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Right. Who am I? The only <laughs> one of John that doesn't include Sarah is one of him sitting in a chair as he looked at the time of his death with an empty armchair next to him. Helpfully inscribed with the words, the vacant chair, just in case oh, you were curious as to the symbology of this chair. Wow. <laughs> in 1937, he was diagnosed with a terminal illness and gave away the rest of his vast fortune. However, he did survive and lived for another decade in the county nursing home. Oh. He died in 1947 at the age of 92. The pastor at his graveside service chided the small group of mourners at his funeral. He said people should have accepted Davis for who he was. After all, he said, all of us have our peculiarities. (laughs) Don't we ever. (laughs) The final statues of the couple show them kneeling on their own graves with Sarah depicted with angels wings. John's statue features his missing hand, which he lost to an infection sometime before his death. Oh, wow whole set piece is under a 52 ton marble canopy and davis installed a wall around the memorial to deter ne'er-do-wells john was often at the site while he was alive greeting visitors and visiting with his wife in the end the whole enchilada cost about two hundred thousand dollars in the 1930s more than 3.5 million in today's oh man and this is during the depression yeah (laughs) so i'm sure everyone's oh yeah yeah, knock those statues heads off everyone well we get there okay everyone was big mad big mad yeah john continued work on the project in the midst of the great depression which (laughs) led to a lot of bad vibes amongst the town people townspeople according to lynn allen director of the brown county historical society he was a very private man and he didn't want to be told what to do gotcha yeah he also okay and this is like i messaged the group before this that this was the greatest moment ever and it is like i'm going to create merch around this he also (laughs) carried business cards printed with i'll thank you very kindly to mind your business yeah yes we have to have t-shirts that say that oh my god i want it on everything everything 
I stan a private king. Yes. <laughs> In the late 1930s, Davis was interviewed by none other than war journalism icon Ernie Pyle. Okay. Oh, right. About the memorial and the community's bitterness, to which he said, but it's my money and I spent it the way I please. Heck yeah. Damn right. The community of Hiawatha has made peace with the memorial over the years, touting it as part of the local color. In 1976, an art critic for another local Kansas Kansas paper dubbed the memorial not art, but interesting, (laughs) making it clear why no one likes their local art critic. Yeah, exactly. Having been one before. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, dude, you work for the Manhattan paper in Kansas. You need to calm down about the art. All right. The memorial, um, a write-up and a sketch of the memorial also ran in many Kansas papers as a promo for the Kansas Division of the United Brewers Foundation. So when I was looking through newspapers.com, I was noticing this exact same article with the exact same layout was like in like 10 different newspapers. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the very bottom and it was like, Kansas Brewer. I'm like, okay, this is paid content. I see. That's how they did it back in the day, kids. Mm -hmm. That was Spawn Con back in the day. (laughs) We called those house ads. Um, It was vandalized in 1990 when one of John's heads was stolen. Oh, no! (laughs) No. As well as a marble urn, which was decorative. It did not contain any remains. Oh, darn. Teens at the Hiawatha Pizza Hut had a lead that they shared in 1991. That head was thrown in a pond is what we heard. (laughs) There's still a $10,000 reward for the head. They still haven't found it? Oh, no. And they can't because, and I'm, I'm fixing to get, it's on the National Register of Historic Places, so they can't put a replacement head no. on it. It has Mm-mm. to be the OG head. Yeah, <laughs> it sure does. So his poor, he's, it's beautiful sculpture because both him and his wife are kneeling at their graves and they're both holding wreaths and no head. <laughs> no head. Oh, the Davis mo- me out. I know. I'll take you little shits. Yep. <laughs> Working at the Pizza Hut and okay, a 1990 Pizza Hut in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> oh, I think God. we all know what that looks like. Yeah, we do. I was gonna say we probably had birthday parties there. But... Right, we know, <laughs> you know the miscreants that were working yes. there. Yeah, look, for I didn't sure. Care, I didn't care what they did so long as they gave me my personal pan pizza for reading X number. Of exactly. Books. <laughs> Why exactly. do you think I'm a fatty who likes to read now? Book it. Uh, and or look, the little. I, the little uh, land before time, like yes, puppets. the hand puppets. Yes, I had those. I, I had those. those. They also did like fun sunglasses at one time, and I had those. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Pizza Hut in the nineties was just it was it an was, experience. Yes, but like having grown up in a small town, I knew the kids that worked at the pizza place. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, they definitely know where the fuck that head is. Oh yeah. So the Davis Memorial is on the National Register of Historic Places and is visited by 20 to 30,000 people annually. The town, once bitter about where John put his money, ended up reaping the benefits of his choices. Um, the memorial's cleaned, repaired, Sheena, you know you'd care about who cleans it, yes. and cared <laughs> for by the Mount Hope Cemetery, which is the cemetery that the memorial in is in Mount Hope. 
uh, Mount Hope Cemetery, and the Kansas Historical Society. Kate Miller, president of the Hiawatha Chamber of Commerce, pauses that the much-debated memorial was not so much a monument to the importance of staying out of other people's pockets, but rather to the undying love of a man for his dearly departed wife. Either way, it's still a legendary monument. Heck yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have great, the pictures of them are fantastic. And I just really adore, they were like, a grieving man coming to him with like, well, we could do this. We could. He's like, you know what? Fuck y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck all y'all. Mm-hmm. Because he did give his money away. Like he was totally fine with giving his money away. He just didn't want to be guilted into it by a bunch of assholes. Uh, they need to mind their own damn business. Exactly. Right. I'm like, good for you, John Davis. I hope you and Sarah are happy. <laughs> and I'm sure they are. Exactly. <laughs> So thank you, Vesper, for that awesome story. I loved it. That's yes. a great story. Yeah. I've All seen right, pictures Lou. of the, the monuments. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we I am even if it's just for us, I'm getting us those business cards. Yes. <laughs> yes. And y'all we need also, t-shirts. We need everything. <laughs> yeah. As I said earlier, I was on the struggle bus this week. You know, <laughs> I even had extra time to research. And did I find something interesting to me no so 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 you know bear with me i had one sick kiddo one kiddo starting first grade yeah the aforementioned horse show and starting a new job with no break so it was a lot i tried so a little busy no big deal we're gonna have a condensed version this week because you know i'm a virgo and i tend to overdo everything (laughs) so there's not going to be as many details this week as I usually have. So apologies in advance, but we are going to have some fun because we are going to be talking about a woman named Sandra Eileen West. Okay. Okay, good. You haven't heard of her. No, let's do it. Sandra's headstone is in San Antonio's Alamo Masonic Cemetery. It's about as basic as it can get. It's just got some flowers on either side of her name, her name, and her date of birth and death. So what makes this millionaire heiress special? How she was buried and the requirements that were set in her will, (laughs) I feel like, are what kind of set her apart. So I'll get into a little bit about her. Not a ton of information is known about her because it's all about her burial. Uh, She was born to be rich and famous on January 2nd, 1939 in Beverly Hills. And she grew up in her parents' boutique children's clothing store. So she was used to seeing the rich and famous come into shop. And she just was like stars in her eyes. I want to be rich. I want to be the Paris Hilton of the 1950s or whatever. (laughs) Uh, She was courted by Elvis. Oh. Oh. Okay. uh, And Frank Sinatra. Oh. But she set her sights on the wealthy heir to a South Texas ranching and oil empire. That a girl. Solomon. Yep. Solomon West, a.k.a. That's smart. Making good choices. Yeah, very smart. Well, uh, (laughs) better choices than they would have been otherwise. Well, (laughs) we'll take the money and run. Exactly. We'll get to that. 
she dated him for a while before learning that he actually wasn't technically the heir to the west family fortune he had an older brother she got catfished jr oh she didn't get catfished so she dumped saul (laughs) and took (laughs) off to mexico to find ike because that a girl she's like hell no i'm going with the rich one yeah so Ike was the black sheep of the family. He had been sent to Texas with his bodyguard because he was a drunkard and a drug abuser and they didn't want him to embarrass the family. So they shipped him off to Mexico. So somehow Sandra found him and quote, cleaned him up. uh, And were they a Jewish family? I don't think so. Because Isaac and Saul, those are very... Specific. I don't I didn't really go into detail. But she they, she pulled a, I'm a fix him. Yeah, so she <laughs> she said he's fixed, he's cleaned up and he was responsible. We're going to come <laughs> back to America. Uh so he apparently had been married two other times and had Jesus two kids Christ. that weren't mentioned in any of this information. Sandra. Uh they got married and they settled down in California to live that opulent American dream. Yes. They lived a flashy life, collecting fast cars, fancy clothes, and a Beverly Hills mansion. Uh, yeah. Now, Sandra inherited her husband's fortune when he died under mysterious circumstances in a Las wow. Vegas hotel room. Boy, I'm shocked by that ending. I'm picturing a Maribo robe. Yeah. <laughs> he... Officer, I don't know how my husband got well, on the stairs. Well, so, no, yeah. it was... It, <laughs> was legit he probably died of a drug overdose or yeah. you know he had a history barbiturates yeah. yeah his weight fluctuated with oh, the drug and alcohol abuse so it was ruled natural gotcha. uh, so following her husband's death she dated a slew of celebrities she flashed her wealth around town she dressed in expensive furs while she drove her fancy expensive cars including her favorite a 1964 powder blue Ferrari 300 America. I oh, love I this bet that thing was pretty. Oh, I it, love this bitch. I love her I, so I, much. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means, but I'm sure it was a very pretty vehicle. It sounds pretty. Yes. So outwardly, you know, you would assume that she was just this extrovert living the high life, but people who were closer to her, which sadly was just, you know, her doctors and her lawyers and nurses, mm-hmm. Uh, they said she was very lonely and she was an introvert. Mm -hmm. Um, I read a couple of places that like toward the end of her life, she became kind of obsessed with Egyptian, uh, methods of burial and Mm -hmm. and just, you know, pyramids and that whole thing. Yeah. Um, it's a very rich person thing. Right. She was known to give outrageous gifts to those who even did the slightest nice thing for her, including a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar diamond cross to a part-time nurse holy shit jeez um so i guess this was about december november of 1976 she was in a really bad car accident in her powder blue ferrari that caused her a lot of pain and she was struggling to recover from it um and it was thought that this was the cause of her death on March 10th, 1977, at the age of 37. Oh, man. Damn. A coroner's inquest was called to determine whether or not her death was due to the accident. 
a suicide or homicide. Um, During the testimony, a pathologist testified that she had died from an overdose of drugs, but her personal physician later testified that since she had a history of drug abuse, the only person that was allowed to physically handle her medications was her nurse. Um, That same physician also testified that she was a, quote, psychotic with a tendency toward paranoia and hallucination. Hey, that's rude. Be nice about it. Well, and that's the thing is, like, if she's in chronic pain after the accident, then, yeah, I mean, she might be misusing medication or she might be having mental health effects from chronic pain. Chronic pain is awful yeah i mean it just rips you apart and this is back in what like the 70s 70s. so it's literally like barbiturates (laughs) yeah darvon basically well the jury eventually ruled her cause of death as an accidental overdose of barbiturates and codeine codeine i can't i'm allergic to codeine no, I've never me. done hallucinogens, but I think codeine's as close as I've ever been where I've just been like, what the fuck is happening I'm, to I'm me? I'm glad I'm allergic to that stuff. I don't want to try it. I don't you know. They gave I me as a, I did as a baby, but they gave me, me. I can't remember what I was sick with in high school, but they gave me fenugreek syrup, which is the the subject of Three Six Mafia's infamous sipping on the scissor. Yeah. Um <laughs> And I started to understand, like, I took a, do- a, you know, my dose of it. And I was like, no, I, I see why they sell this on the streets. Because what, <laughs> what is happening? Like, I can hear fuck? colors. <laughs> exactly. I'm just like, I just have pneumonia. Like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So following her death, they did discover a five-year-old handwritten will. That okay. would leave her entire estate, which was around 2.5 million, Damn. to her former lover and current brother-in-law, Saul West, <laughs> okay. under very specific conditions. Uh-oh. Okay. The will stated, quote, I request he respect his brother, mother, and my wishes by burying me next to my husband in my lace nightgown. And by Porter Loring Mortuary in my Ferrari with the seat slanted comfortably. <laughs> Is she buried in this Ferrari? Even though she wrecked it? Yes. Yes! She yes! was buried in her favorite white nightgown. So, in a nighty behind the wheel of a fucking I sports car. Love, love that for you, Sandra. Yes. Good job. So, Saul West's initial response to this directive was, quote, I have no comment on any of this. <laughs> <laughs> like, bitch, and, you want your money? You best do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess she yeah. was te- she was temporarily buried somewhere in California because he contested the will. And the the judge was like, no, you have to do what she asked. And so right. the, it's the, not illegal. No. Yeah. It, it the, So the vehicle had not been repaired yet. So. She was put in her favorite Italian lace nightgown with the seat put back a little bit. And she was uh, buried on May 19th, 1977. The Ferrari itself was in a large wooden box. So, you know, it wasn't like, oh, a shocking sight to see, you know, a woman right. being buried in a car. Yeah. Um, and she was placed in a 20 foot grave next to her husband. And then they covered it with cement 
to prevent grave robbing because apparently the cemetery was in a really rough part of town and they didn't want to see the car on the street the next day with the um, dead body just yeah well, yeah. out in there yeah so yeah that is that is the very interesting story of sandra west and if she you, was like a I said, hottie oh she's gorgeous gorgeous and um, yeah i because i looked up the car that's a pretty ass car yeah very pretty car uh uh but if you go see her grave today it's just this little square headstone you know nothing yeah. to say what's underneath you, yeah you have no idea that there's like a probably million dollar sports car with you know right the lady in it just chilling underneath your feet wow yep she's a hottie she's mm-hmm. hot that is a giant giant cross lying resting in her cleavage. resting yes. in, in her to quote beyonce um how does beyonce say it tigabitties yeah tigglebitties yeah Tiggle that's bitties. been around that's been around a minute it has yeah. but beyonce just used it in her new album so yeah you know. but yeah, yeah no, I, it, uh, it, uh that that that's a large cross with some large boobs anyway yes continue. good yes. for her so, good so yeah her. yep that is uh the short and sweet story of the burial of uh miss sandra west she didn't give a she didn't give a fuck she sure (laughs) didn't and i don't blame her and that's a very big hole to put this car into Mm -hmm. i love it this one headline says a ferrari and a negligee i'm like god damn right sandra (laughs) of course (laughs) yes yes go out in style yeah, her headstone's not very exciting, but that yeah. is a beautiful car. I know, isn't that, that is good for her? Good for that's what I, you know. What good for her? Yeah, well, yeah. maybe you know the what she researched about Egyptians. Maybe that just put right. that thought in her head. That's well, true. You they never went know with what they you know what they loved in this life. She's yeah, like, I yeah. guess I'll be by my husband, but I want my fucking car. Yeah, yeah. love that goddamn car. <laughs> Heck yeah, here for it. Well, this was fun. Yeah, this was a hope, fun one. We're trying to do more fun it. ones. We did. We had some deep shit for a while. Yeah, we did. Yes. Yeah, it was a little heavy. Um, and next week, I think we're going to do another grab bag episode. Last one's yeah. worked out last week, last episode, whatever worked out so well. We're going to do it again. So we have um, no concept of time at this point. Yeah. No, I really don't. Um, time is meaningless. So um luhu where can they find us we are on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us a gmail to cemetery row pod pod at gmail.com this is shit Ooh, <laughs> is, is it cemetery? yes yes y'all my brain is fried it's cemetery row pod at gmail.com very tired. <laughs> oh my oh, goodness and, and your camera just went and it was like where's luhu going well i'm sitting on the couch because we rearranged furniture and stuff and uh, i couldn't get the chair for the desk upstairs out of the friggin' closet because my elliptical's in the way <laughs> so i'm like i guess i'm sitting on the couch tonight we're all having very middle-aged problems i'm telling don't you like it i'm telling you <sighs> all right well, this is fun um everyone go tell your friends about us and yeah and like and you know like with vesper sending me the idea send us ideas we love Heck those yeah. If there's an interesting tombstone in your hometown, tell us about it. We'll talk about your hometown tombstone. Um, and 
And yeah, maybe hopefully I'll see some of you Tuesday night for um, True Crimes of Bygone Times. Support our girl. Yes, buy tickets. You will literally hear about two separate Memphis murders that deal with tamales. I cannot stress how amazing that is. Okay, every time I go for a walk on the lakefront, either when when I get back, either the Paleta man or the tamale man is there. <laughs> and I'm Either way, you're going to get something good. I'm convinced I'm being tracked. And they're like, yeah. oh, wait till the chubby white girl comes back. She's going <laughs> to buy something. I'm like, you motherfuckers. I am. I am going to buy something. Yes. Mm-hmm. One time All it was right. the elote man. I was like, oh, I damn you. Okay. Have y'all seen the corn baby? The little corn kid? What? I gotta send y'all this. That little it's this sweet little baby boy. He loves corn. It's the cutest Aww. little video ever. I'll send it to you because the way he says corn is too. Yeah, y'all look up the corn kid because it's the best from recess therapy. It's the best video ever. Aww. Okay, anyway. Um, All right, we love you guys. Yes. Be good. Bye. Do crime. Not really. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>